Thank you for this chance to talk to you guys. I hope you're having a good holiday season and gaining lots of weight and eating all kind of food and hope it's sticking to your ribs and your neck and everywhere else. Uh, I want to read a couple of texts, Genesis chapter 25 and Mark chapter 15. You don't have to stand. I'm sitting too. So let's just all sit together. Genesis 25, and I'm going to read verses 27 through 34. And then I'm going to read verses 43 through 46. Thank you for coming tonight on an off night. And, uh, and thank you for sacrificing. I hope it's going to be worth it for you. Uh, Genesis 25, verse 27. We're uh, in the mid, we're in the middle of a story right here of Esau and Jacob. Uh, they're growing up. And the Bible said the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah, the mom, loved Jacob. Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Jacob said to, Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went in his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And this next little text is Mark chapter 15, verse 43 through 46. It may not seem like it's going to connect right up front, but it's just kind of go with me. Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved, somebody say craved, craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew of it, when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph and he bought the fine with fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the fine linen, laid him in a sepulcher, hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher. I just feel to teach tonight uh, from the subject cravings. Cravings. Uh, the word crave means to long for, to want greatly, to desire eagerly to feel a powerful desire for something or someone. All the research I've done involving craving says that a craving is created by something being out of balance in someone's body, mind, or life. An imbalance in the bloodstream will cause you to crave sugar. An imbalance in a relationship will cause you to crave love. An imbalance in your emotions will cause you to crave peace. An imbalance in chemicals can cause one to crave attention. Esau had several imbalances, as we'll find out here in the next few minutes in his life, and so do you and so do I. And obstacles he had to work through in his life that ultimately led him to the point we're going to talk about tonight. But Esau's issues, if you will let me say that, Esau's problems. Esau's cravings started at birth when he was named for a birth defect that he had because 
the name Esau, E-S-A-U, in Hebrew and in Greek <laughs> means hairy, H-A-R-Y, hairy. The firstborn, you'd think mom and dad would be so proud of him that they were going to name him something that maybe sounded, you know, strong or brave or courageous or maybe a prince, something that they're so proud of. But instead, they couldn't get over what he looked like. And they said, we're going to name him Harry. He's a hairy baby. And so immediately named for a birth formality, he is judged by his looks. As he begins to grow up, he... His first issue comes from his dad. The Bible said his dad loved him, but his love was based on the fact that Esau cooked food and he ate Esau's food. In other words, his love was very conditional. Uh, his love was based on performance. Esau only felt the love of dad if he did the right thing. Uh, craving affirmation the rest of his life because he was trained that affirmation was only given based on performance. If the meat is good, dad will be proud of me. If I get straight A's, dad will be proud of me. If I don't act up in the car, dad will be proud of me. If I don't embarrass dad, he'll be proud of me. And this conditional love that he was raised under created an unconditional craving that nobody could quench. No one could understand him. His daddy issues were because his dad only gave him love based on how good he performed. Nothing is ever good enough. Nothing was ever good enough. And if you were raised in a home where you had to, to show uh, great performances to receive affirmation, then you already know what I'm talking about because I promise you, if that's how you were raised, you're naturally going to try to impress God with the way you've been trained by an earthly father, it's how you'll see your heavenly father. You'll assume that you have to perform and you have to do great things for God to approve of you and for God to affirm you. And I just say this right now, that no matter how great your performance is, He's loved you before you performed. He's loved you after. He's loved you when you were good. He loved you when you were bad. He loved you when you were amazing. He loved you when you were pathetic. He's always been there. That's why he's our heavenly father. That's why I want you to love him no matter no matter how much you were loved or not loved growing up by an earthly father. A conditional love from a human father can affect the relationship someone has with a heavenly father. But the father you have in heaven has loved you unconditionally your entire life. That does not give you a right to sit there and sin and say, well, he loves me as I am, so I don't have to grow. That's not what that means at all. In fact, grace can run out if you keep using it. But what I am saying is, aren't you thankful that he loved you where hmm, you were and he found you where you were? He didn't find you in heaven. He didn't find you at the altar. He brought you to the altar. He's delivered so many of people in that room from drugs and alcohol and perversion and wickedness from their past and failure and condemnation and fear. You serve a good, holy, righteous, loving God. And I, that's why you should never be ashamed to clap your hands or to worship him because he has loved you and me unconditionally. Esau had a dad that said, your, your affirmation will be based on 
what you do. In fact, later on in life, when Esau, uh, when Isaac, the dad, was about to die, he said, I'm going to give you everything, Esau. All I need for you to do is go get me a deer, kill the deer, cook the deer, and I'll bless you with everything. There's that conditional love again. If you do something good, I'll bless you. If you do something that serves me, I'll say I'm proud of you. That is so sickening in today's world. If you are a father, you should love your kids no matter what. I'm going to say it whether you like it or not. You should not be a jerk to your kids. You should love your kids no matter what they do or say or try because it's easy it's easy to give conditional love. It's easy to love someone based on how great they are. But you know you love them when something's not right in them, but yet your soul weeps for them and you want to see them make it. That is unconditional love. But his lack of Unconditional love creates a craving in Esau that nobody can quench. To make things worse, he's got a conditionally loving father and a mom who rejects him. Because the Bible said his mom loved his brother more than, in fact, even say she loved him, it said she just loved his brother. That's scary. Uh, I hope, I'm sure every parent in here if you have multiple kids, has had one of your kids come to you and say, which one do you love the most? Do you love me or do you love them? And the child is hoping you say that person. I hope all of us will say, I love you all the same. Because you shouldn't love one child more than the other child. But Rebecca loved Jacob more. And there's no nothing worse than feeling uh, that you are less than someone else in the family. And generational rejection created a craving for relational affection. I want you to get that. Generational rejection created a craving for relational affection. Because the Bible said Esau went out to Canaan and he began to marry women that were not approved of by his parents to make his parents mad. Because they did not give him the love he needed. He craved the love and found it somewhere else. I want to say this the right way. Affection was not coming from the right source. So he began to crave abnormal affection. The affection he was craving was not godly. It was not holy and it was not righteous, but it was there because he was not receiving the affection that should have been there from something godly and something holy. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost and something righteous. Everywhere he turns, his affection is not being fulfilled because what his flesh is desiring is not what his soul is desiring. What his flesh is craving is not what his soul is craving. Can I minister to somebody in the room? What your flesh craves is not what your soul craves. And oftentimes you'll try to please your flesh because you're made of flesh, but your soul is not craving lust. It's craving love. Your soul is not craving that abnormal relationship. It's craving affirmation. It's craving purity. It's craving the connection that God put in you. But the enemy hmm, wants to take that craving and twist it and pervert it and make it something that is unholy and unrighteous. Jesus said this in John chapter 4, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But he that drinketh of the water, I shall give him. 
shall never thirst again. It shall be a well springing up within him. In other words, no matter what the devil or your flesh tells you you're craving, you're really actually craving Jesus. There's a hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. There's nobody out there that can fill it. Only the Lord can do this. But I understand why some people have the cravings they have because they're being chased away by abnormal things at home. And Rebecca should have been loving, but she wasn't. And Isaac should have been caring, but he wasn't. And they had this, you don't deserve to be here mentality. Perform and we will approve. And we're already comparing you to somebody who's better looking than you. We're comparing you to somebody who makes us things that we want. He's loyal. He's faithful. Jacob's not going anywhere. You'll never be as good as Jacob. And so he's sitting there in an uncomfortable atmosphere, krashata, craving love and craving affirmation, and he's not getting it. Let me just say what I feel. In the Holy Ghost, people should get what they crave in the house of God. They should get love that they crave in the house of God. When they come from a broken home, they should feel the love of God in the church. They should feel it among us. They should feel it through us when they come to the house of God from a broken marriage or a broken relationship or from an evil father or rejecting mother. When they walk in the doors of Palmer Pentecostal Church, they should feel the unconditional love of God. They should feel that will never reject them, that will never push them, that will never make them feel less than anybody else. If you've got a judgmental spirit, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that spirit. You need to remember where you came from. If it had not been for the mercy and the grace of God, where would we all be? Don't look down your nose at somebody who's coming in. They've got all kinds of issues. You don't know what they went through to come there. You don't know who rejected them. You don't know who didn't love them. You don't know who pushed them away. And what a merciful God that he went all through that. They went through all that. And yet God led them to you. Got him out of the barn. Got him out of the club. Got him out of the gang. Got him out of the relationship. Got him out of homosexuality. And yet here they are. You, oh, we ought to thank God for every new convert, for every messed up life, for every person who's craving something that they don't understand. Somebody ought to praise him right now. Aren't you thankful for a God that can find you no matter where you are, no matter where you've been? But it gets worse for Esau because he's got a conditional loving dad, a rejecting mom, and a competing brother. Didn't even enjoy his own birth because as soon as he was born, his twin brother came out and grabbed his heel and said, this fight's not over. And Jacob begins to chase Esau his entire adolescent life. Someone who should have loved Esau at all costs was Jacob because the Bible talks about a friend. Uh, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. It doesn't mention father or mother. It mentions brother because brothers <laughs> want to love each other. Like nobody loves each other. You know, uh, brothers will fight each other, but they will kill you if you mess with one of them. 
me and my brother would fight. But if you messed with my brother, I would fight you. That's how it is. And that's how it should be. There's issues in the church all the time. People have disagreements, but you ought to defend your brothers and sisters in the church. Not, not find anything you can to create a, 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 you know, a wedge between you. There should be that love. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 said, if you hate your brother and say you love God, you're a liar. You cannot love God and hate your brother at the same time. How can you love God whom you've not seen if you hate your brother whom you have seen? You don't love God. That's, that's terribly mean, but you don't love God if you hate your brother. You have to love your brother to prove you love God. Why? Because if you can love your brother who will do you wrong, fight you, wrestle with you, war with you, but ultimately at the end of the day will be there with you, then you can surely say you love God. But Jacob didn't love his brother. Jacob wanted what his brother had. You got a dad that's not loving him. You got a mom rejecting Esau. And now you got a brother that's Jacob that's trying to take everything from him. And here goes Esau hunting, trying to please dad one more time out in the field, trying to bring food back. Maybe this time, if I get a big enough buck, He'll love me. Maybe if there's enough points on this rack, maybe if the, he'll he'll approve. Boy, maybe dad will be happy when he sees this picture of this, this ram I'm going to kill. Oh, man, just want to impress dad. And here he comes, and he's got the food, and he's weak, and he's tired, and he's exhausted. Bible said he was faint, which means he was exhausted. Here's Jacob cooking the food. And Esau's so hungry, his blood sugar was probably low. He's very, very shaky. He's weak. And now he's got a food craving. <laughs> oh, I could preach this. Food is the strongest addiction in the church, by the way. It's stronger than drugs. It's stronger than alcohol. It's stronger than sex. I promise you, sorry for being blunt. It's the truth. Because if you don't think it is, try fasting more than 12 hours. I promise you, food. Is what you your body craves more than anything. It's the strongest addiction in the church, and it's the hardest thing for our flesh to conquer is food. And he's craving food. Watch this. He's craving is so strong, it's removing his common sense. It's removing his sanity because cravings can be so real that you forget everything you've got going good at home and you lose your ever-loving mind because you're craving something that's not going to fulfill you or sustain you. I'm craving it so nothing else matters. I want it so nothing else matters. I'll throw my whole life away because I'm craving this right now. Can I preach like I'm at home? Cravings kill dreams. Cravings kill marriages. Cravings kill ministries. Cravings kill families. Cravings can kill health. Cravings can kill wealth. Cravings can kill relationships. Cravings kill positions. Cravings kill friendships. And cravings can kill churches. Cravings can be absolutely evil. And they can wipe out anything that's good, that's going to be great in the future for something temporary that's satisfying you in the moment. First Timothy 6, verse 10 in the New Living Translation says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's not that money is wrong, it's that they craved it. And that's why Jesus said you can't serve God and money because you start craving one 
or the other. You start desiring one more than the other. And he said, you, Paul said, you can't crave money because you'll start piercing yourself and you'll start drifting from the faith. Everything that you desire will be pulled from you because of a craving that's inside of you. Oh, I read a quote the other day. Pardon me if I'm looking down. I'm reading my notes here. I read a quote the other day that said, if you crave something to eat and you eat it and you are not satisfied, you were never craving what you ate. That is so good. And it, it works for more than food. You crave the position, get the money, and you won't be happy. Crave the relationship, lose your family, you won't be happy. Because what your flesh is craving is not what you need. What you need is what only God can give you. And Esau was craving food so bad that he said, I'll throw the birthright, which is the responsibility of running everything. He was going to be the CEO of all of Isaac's stuff in the future. He's going to run the farm. He's going to run the herds, the flocks, the cattle. He's going to have the servants serving him. And yet he cannot get his mind off of what I want right now in the moment. All I want is this right now. And what you're craving can mess up what you truly desire. Give us the spirit of Job who said, I've esteemed his word more than my necessary food. I want the food, but I want his words more. Yes, I want to do this, but I know I've got to please God more than what I want temporarily in the moment. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Esau ran and lived a life from that point forward that was never fulfilling. The Bible said that Later in the New Testament, the Lord said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, which in the original is I've loved less. I loved him less. And here's the difference between Jacob and Esau. Esau would throw anything God was doing for him away for the pleasure of a moment. And Jacob said, I want the things of God, even if I don't know how to get them the right way. Jacob's methods were wrong, but his motives were, he, he wanted the stuff. He lived his whole life craving the spiritual blessings of his father. And Esau said, I'm sick and tired of how family treats me. I don't want anything to do with it. And he ran to the world and he blamed the family. And you'd be shocked the people that run to the world and blame the church or blame God, or blame someone in church for, for all their issues. You need to hear me in the Holy Ghost. That's not them. It's your craving. It's the flesh inside of you that's raging, and you need to suppress it and say, no, not my will, but thine be done. I need the Lord. But what does that have to do with our other text, with this, this Joseph of Arimathea, this guy in the New Testament, that when Jesus died, Joseph went and asked for the body of Jesus. First of all, Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was extremely wealthy. According to historians, he would be a multi, multi, multi millionaire today right now. He was an honorable counselor. He was a writer. He had all kinds of things. He was very blessed. But the Bible said he craved Jesus. He had everything. The church loved him. He had all the money in the world. But he craved Jesus. And he went to Pilate when they had killed Jesus. 
And he said, can I please have the body of Jesus? Now, this is why you got to get this. Is, this is so powerful. Because first of all, he can be executed for even asking this question. I mean, they just killed this Jesus and you're going and asking for him. Like, dude, how dumb are you? You know, he's literally coming before the governor asking for the body. Here's what I want you to get. He asked for the dead body of Jesus. He craved God while God was dead. <laughs> oh. He craved a God that could not do anything for him. He craved a Jesus that would not heal his home, that would not heal his body, that would not touch his mind, that would not save his kids, that would not bless his marriage, that would not bless his finances. He craved Jesus when he was dead. This is how you know your motives are right. When you want God, even if he can do nothing for you, even if you get nothing out of it, and you're still there on a Tuesday night, and it's, it's not about what can I get. It's because I'm craving him. I've got to have more of him. I need more of him today than I knew yesterday. Paul said, oh, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want know him, not what he can do for me. I want to know Jesus. Wise men worshiped him when he was two years old. He could not do one thing for them, but they poured out their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh because it's not about what he can do for me. It's about I need him. I crave him. I want to be close to him. You can take this whole world, but if I die broke and I'm going to heaven, I'm a success. If I kids go to heaven, I'm a success. Nothing else matters. We've got to have Jesus. I don't know whose motives I'm speaking to, but I come into your mind right now in the Holy Ghost, and I come against those evil motives that you only want God for what he can give you, and you only go to church if he's doing something for you, and if you backslide because things go wrong, you don't want him. You want his stuff. You are a prodigal waiting to leave. You need to hear me in the Holy Ghost. The prodigal said, give me the stuff, and I'm out, but the prodigal doesn't want to be in the presence of the Father. I want to shikata. I want to be in the presence of the Father. If He blesses me, thank you, Lord. If He doesn't bless me, thank you, Lord. In all things, give thanks. In everything, thanking Him. He's good on my good days. He's good on my bad days. He's good when the church is doing really good. He's good when the church is blowing up my phone, telling me everything's falling apart. He's good when everything is peaceful at home. He's good when demons try to attack my home. I'm telling you, God is good. You are blessed. He shall supply all your needs, and we need to desire him. When's the last time you prayed and said, I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm not going to ask for you to do something for me. God knows when you're only chasing him to get something back. You need to chase him for who he is. Whether you do something for me or not, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. Give me a Joshua. That's for me and my family and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Good, bad, or ugly, we're going to live for God. I need somebody in Palmer to get on their feet, get a hold of God, lift up your voice and say, I'm not waiting for the blessing. I want the blessing. I'm not waiting for the healing. I want the healer. I'm not 
waiting for the miracle. I want the miracle worker. I want the one who makes blind eyes open be in my house. He may never open my blinded eyes, but he can talk to me every morning in his word. I release the desire of consecration in that. I release freshness in your prayer life, a renewing in your home, a renewing in your marriage. I release healing in your home right now and a desire for the Lord, a hunger for God. Nothing else matters. You can have everybody in the world. You'll still need Jesus. You can have all the money in the world. You're still going to need Jesus. You can have all the people following you. You're still going to need Jesus at the end of the day. Nothing else matters if you don't have him, if you have gained the world, but you lose your soul. What doth it profit you? God, help me to be like Paul. He said, after I've preached, don't let me be a castaway. Don't let me go after it for others and not go after you when no one's around. I want you. In the name of Jesus, let me find you, God, in the darkness of my trial. Let me find you in the weariness of the wilderness that I'm in. And let me know that you're with me. And if I know you're with me. I can survive. I can make it another day. I can conquer another demon. I can live another hour. I can fight another moment. If I have Jesus, my soul craves the Lord. My soul craves the Lord. My soul craves him. Oh, my flesh wants other things, but my soul craves him. I want to see his eyes of fire. I want to see his hair like wool. I want to see his mouth and the two-edged sword. I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to feel him. I want to be near him. Would you lay your hands on someone beside you across the room and just pray with somebody right now? Let's make sure our motives, we're going to ask questions in a moment, but can you make sure your motives are right? Are you chasing God or are you chasing God's stuff? Are you chasing God or are you chasing God's power? Are you chasing God or are you chasing God's ability to give you what you want? You've got to chase God no matter what happens. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got a crave to be involved in the kingdom. You got a crave to do the work of the Lord, no matter what you get, what accolades or affirmation or attention. Do the work of the Lord. Do the work of the Lord. We're in, we're going to the hospital again tomorrow. Children's hospital. Three year old boy with a liver transplant needs another liver transplant. They've never come to our church one time. We don't even know if they're going to come to church, but we know we know there's someone that needs a miracle, and so we're going and we're reaching this little kid and and this family. And there's so many people. You, you there's something you can do. You can crave God to such a level that you're doing the work of the kingdom, not looking for an accolade or a compliment, or did they notice me serving? You can do the work of the kingdom of God and truly do it for Jesus. Everything we do ought to be for Jesus. Everything we do ought to be 